Hey guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I'm talking to Kasim Hansen from N1. And we're talking about a lot of biomechanics and how bodybuilders might want to apply this. What is his process for creating various exercises that seem to work very well we're digging into all that sort of stuff so definitely enjoy this one guys and as ever please do rate us over on spotify a five out of five would be very much appreciated share this with your loved ones if you're on youtube subscribe like all that good stuff it's highly appreciated let's get right into the show Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have Kasim Hansen on the podcast, or Coach Kasim, as many people will know him from N1. Um, I'm excited to get Kasim on. I think this is the first time, I don't think this is the first time Kasim has been on his own on the podcast. He's come on, I think, three episodes where he's been chatting with another individual. And I was just telling Kasim off air how... Um, biomechanics in this kind of area and the level of depth at least that kind of N1 and Kasim are coming to it with is and was beyond my kind of understanding and I'm still trying to gather and learn um, as everyone is in this space to some degree when you're kind of trying to keep up with the science and everything and I wanted to bring Kasim on when I felt a bit more comfortable and fully uh, solo fully understanding uh, his information and i not don't think I fully grasp it by any means, but I have a better grasp and a better grasp of Kasim and where he's coming from. Uh, and I'm excited to chat a little bit more in depth to him. But I said off air, I wanted to make sure that he had an opportunity to give a little bit more of an intro because never really got that. Uh, so one of the questions I had, um, although I kind of know because uh, I have listened to quite a few podcasts where you've introed, is where your kind of full interest came with biomechanics and kind of, um, yeah, what led you to that? So I have, we'll say, kind of done the pendulum from the more academic to physiological side to then the more practical side, like a, like a couple times throughout my career. And, um, you know, in terms of really getting into the biomechanics, it was kind of that transition into the application side. And looking at that, uh, I got to a point where I realized that like, okay, the stuff that I learned in school from a biochemistry standpoint, from a physiology standpoint, like all of that good information was dependent on what was physically happening in the exercise, meaning like, okay, it's kind of that whole, like, you know, don't count the reps makes the reps count. It's like, well, all of this, all of this cool information that I know about like muscle physiology really comes down to whether actually I can make that happen in an exercise, in a set, et cetera. Um, and so like, in terms of like the things that really got me interested in that, I would say, the very beginning of that was when I was doing, you know, courses with Charles Poliquin. And then, uh, you know, later down, I did some stuff with Tom Purvis in the RTS program. And that's kind of what inspired me to start tinkering around with exercises. Like that's where, so kind of like late 2013, 2014 is where I did the RTS program. And that's where I was just like, you know what, I'm going to start playing around with these exercises more and see if I can't find ways that seem to work a little bit better. And then one thing led to another and it went from tinkering to, you know, purchasing our own lab and doing, you know, I would say from a volume perspective, you know, all of our stuff is in house, it's not published or whatever, but from a volume perspective, we have probably run more experiments that are relevant to like exercises that we want to do in the gym and those variables than like anyone on the planet by far. But and a big part of that is, is we don't have the restrictions of, you know, we're trying to do a study and get published or, or whatever. I can be like, hey, 
I can just walk in the gym today and be like, I I have this question. Let's see. Let's see if we can answer it or let's see if we can, you know, get some data, see if like, you know, this makes any sense at all and just do that on the day, which is so cool, really expensive, but, but so cool. Um, and so that has basically been like the pinnacle of tinkering around with exercise. And I, I, I enjoy the problem solving aspect of it. I think that's the biggest thing is, is that I've constantly shifted in my career to areas where I can be a problem solver. Obviously once I left actual like the university setting and being able to have access to everything we had in the lab there i was no longer looking at things from the muscle physiology standpoint or whatnot like you know i was really interested in looking at um you know growth factors when i was in school don't can't can't do that in my kitchen here right um but but i can do some biomechanic stuff you know with our emgs with our moxie stuff with our mechanical modeling and our force gauges and all that stuff which is which is pretty cool yeah i think it's uh we're talking off air and you were just talking about it there and I, I see why you have your practical camps that you do which look really really valuable to be honest because i think it's one thing kind of reading it uh, it's another thing seeing it and then there's another thing doing it and uh, i think that's where the real value comes in is that you're kind of you are training and you're going through it and you're seeing actually does like what we think works like on paper actually work practically because sometimes i guess it doesn't um and i know actually i didn't have this question but one of the um the tools you use is moxie am i right is that mm-hmm. that and it kind of i mean you have to actually rather than me try and uh, talk through what i think moxie is you can explain a little bit to the listeners what that does yeah so what moxie basically is is it measures near infrared light and so basically the when your blood is either oxygenated or not oxygenated it reflects a different color light so when we put the moxie sensor on there basically what we're looking at is is that in that area what percentage of the blood is oxygenated and not. So that basically gives us ability to kind of measure how much fuel is being consumed and you know how much you know the like the blood flow delivery is being limited. So it's a way for us to say okay, well on the EMG side we're seeing the nervous system telling the muscle like hey, I want you to do this, right? But that doesn't tell us that it's happening. That just says that the brain wants wants this to happen. Right. Um, which does, which can have good correlation, but you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, you know, confounding variables with all this stuff. So having the Moxie data on top of that shows us like, look, all right, now we have another thing to correlate, but like, look, when we do this, this muscle tissue seems to be burning through more fuel than when we do it this other way. So if we have like, well, the brain says we're sending more signal to it. The Moxie says it looks like we're, you know, we're, 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 we're desaturating that muscle of its fuel source more. Um, and we can actually look and see like, you know, are we getting to a point where it'd be like, all right, it looks like this muscle is what we would call like in the effective or fatigue, like effective rep range, fatigue state or whatever. We can actually kind of see on these graphs where it's like, we're seeing the EMG amplitude change both in size and width, and also seeing the moxie, you know, the oxygen saturation kind of flatline. And that gives us an idea of like, yeah, so right now, this is probably our, like our best predictor in terms of a visual tangible tools. Like this is, this is where the hypertrophy, like this is where the mechanical tension stimulus is happening in terms of like the cross bridging portion of that, right. In terms of like the actual uh, contraction, not the stretch mediated, but the actual, like, you know, contractual based stuff. Um, 
And so then being able to look at that across different exercises, we can be like, all right, it seems that we can achieve a higher percentage of that, more of that, we can get it easier, we can get it more isolated, et cetera, by having these over overlapping tools, right? Um, so I know that's probably more in depth than, of an answer than you wanted, but essentially we have the Moxie as a way to just, we'll say, add to the confidence of what we're seeing with the, with the biomechanical modeling and with the EMG. I guess if I was to try and analogize it, it's like, I don't know, you hope someone is growing muscle. So you're not necessarily directly like measuring muscle growth, but you are measuring like body weights going up. You're hitting your protein, your performance in the gym is going up. Circumference measurements are going up. You look bigger and more muscular. And we're trying to use as many of those to infer you've grown muscle, I guess. But maybe, it, maybe it's actually a bit more precise than those measures. Yeah. Well, the goal was, is is like, I need, like, I'm trying to figure out how we can get the best acute data, meaning that I want a lot of information now, right? Because if I want to run a long-term applied hypertrophy study, that means I need, you know, like 12 weeks of that strict protocol across multiple people, you know, so it's very expensive. It takes a really long time, you know, the practicality, and then just measure like the amount of hypertrophy that occurs is still small. So then you have to use like, you know, a really good ultrasound or MRI or whatever, like measuring actual hypertrophy is really complicated. Right. And so like, I'm, I'm kind of like, I built our lab for the most bang for my buck, but like, okay, can I build the best proxy system to basically figure out can like, what can we do so that we can actually get real time acute data that can be the best predictor. And then what my goal is, is, is that when we do finally publish this is that then the research community across, you know, the globe will be like, okay, now let's see if this plays out in the applied research studies. And then they can babysit people for 12 weeks instead of me. Um, that's, that's, that's the goal, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to do the groundwork and say like, okay, can I map the human body and figure out what maybe would be the most biased positions for these things? Um, and then when we're done with that, then can we see that? Now, one thing we have done is we've kind of reverse engineered that, meaning that we've looked at research that has been done that said, hey, if you do exercise A and exercise B, there's, there seems to be a different hypertrophy outcome in those. Um, and so far of the ones that we've looked at, it seems like the way that we are doing the proxies, which I, which we're looking at EMG and stuff different than the majority, the, the majority of the way it's looked at in the research, um, the way we're doing it so far seems to correlate with what we see in the applied research, right? Now that's not, I mean, we're, that's basically my attempt to correlate that by reverse engineering and be like, okay, there's already a study that said if you did the exercise this way, it was better for this and the exercise that way was better for that. So if we use our protocol, does it show those same biases? But there, it, there really isn't any applied research on the exact motions that we're doing. And those tend to show up on the proxies that they separate out these tissues to an even greater degree than anything that we currently see on the, like in, in the research now, like, for example, you know, you'll see a study on rows and they just like, they just change the hand grip, right? So it's like, okay, let's look at neutral and pronated or whatever. And we're using like these very drastic deviated positions between even just like biceps, you know, the two different heads of the biceps. It's like, well, you know, we're not just like turning different degrees of supination or just moving in sagittal flexion extension. We're like incorporating all planes of motion, right? And looking at how those things can drastically shift that. So instead of seeing like, you know, a few percentage points on some of these things, we're seeing like, well, there seems to be like a 60, 70% shift in that direction, you know, into muscles that are what we, you would 
you would normally think is like these have a very similar function. Like, you know, you wouldn't say long head and short head of the biceps have two drastically different functions. But if we do take them to, we'll say, relative extremes of their shoulder positions, we can actually see that you do really preferentiate recruit one over the other. So, you know. I guess that means even if there is margin for error which i guess is what you're alluding to is Mm -hmm. even if there is margin to error it's such a big difference it's kind of like it's still going to have been an actual difference whereas if you try and and measure too acutely it's just hard and i think that's a big problem with the research that we have now is is that they're doing such subtle changes in these exercises that then it's like okay does that difference really matter and it's like okay it can't just be the grip orientation and this it's like you literally have to take and manipulate the joint in every possible way to bias this tissue and then every possible way to bias that other tissue and that's where you can really get that extreme result right but if you just take and you just move one of those things you know a small amount it's you know think of it like technique, right? If you have like a 2% technique breakdown, it's not like all of a sudden that that exercise becomes trash, right? So, I mean, if you, if you think of it at like this scale, it's like, all right, to be able to change this from like, you know, th- you know, a mix of things or one thing versus the other, it's like, in order for that to be significant, you really have to go to the extremes of those functions because the body does not really want to isolate tissue. Like every natural motion we have, like running, you know, throwing, et cetera, like all, all of those things, none of those are isolated motions. Like all of those are integrated motions that use a lot of different muscles. Imagine, you know, fight or flight response, like you're running from the tiger and you decide to use like just, you know, one division of your glute or hamstring or whatever you're running and that fatigues. And then you're, then you're screwed. Right. But if you're sharing that load across all of those tissues, like anybody that's ever like worked really hard in terms of running, you know, or they've done something like, even if they've just done a, you know, ridiculously hard set on a hack squat or whatever, and then just tried to walk to the fountain afterwards, you realize that if you take any one particular muscle to fatigue, your ability to do just normal, like gait function is really, is really disrupted. Right. But if you do like a synergist activity, like if you run really hard and then you stop, you can still walk. Right. Like, but if you took, like, if you jump off of the leg extension after just like completely frying your quads, like you can't, you can't walk. Right. So it's very interesting, you know, that we're, we're trying to do these things in resistance training that are the exact opposite of what our body wants to do from a, an efficiency and a performance perspective. Right. But I mean, that's the whole goal of training, right. Is to put the body in a situation that it doesn't want to be in so that it has to adapt and improve. Right. No, absolutely. Um, and actually one of the questions that kind of, um, it was, I was just thinking about what the moxie was measuring and uh, talking about kind of correlations or anything. Do you ever find the participants you're doing with, I don't know if you've ever asked them, and I know you have some ideas surrounding kind of whether or not, uh, I forget what the word is, but kind of I'm talking about my muscle connection and kind of like feeling the pump and things like this. Um, do they ever correlate with what the person's feeling? Like, I don't know, the moxie saying it's kind of in this muscle and the person is also feeling it there. Yes. I mean, so, but I say that with caution because it's so if we tend like in, a, in it, and that tends to be more for like experienced lifters. So for instance, when yeah. we had, um, you know, Brian Meyer, Brian Miner and Berto here to do the, the, like the bicep stuff or whatever. And like, can you feel the difference? And you know, like, yeah, they could feel, you know, they could feel it also. Um, but there's a different, it's like, it's a different sensation 
then the sensations that people can get from just fatigue or from co-contraction or from jamming the joints. So they're like this, because there's so many different reasons that you could get a heightened sensation. It's just like, okay, it's cool that when we do these exercises that people do also feel that, but I try not to like can make that a confusion that that feeling is necessarily the target. It's just like, it's a great positive affirmation that it happens to happen, but they also, but, but you'll have people like, cause I could literally design an exercise that was purposely terrible from a biomechanics perspective. And people might actually feel that more because of how much, like how much the nervous system has to like co-contract and adapt to like that unstable, you know, position. Right. I mean, there's so many examples of this. There's a reason that, you know, if people, you know, if they do a squat on a Bozu ball or whatever, they might really feel their quads just because of that unbalanced scenario. But, you know, we, we know that's not a better, you know, thing for hypertrophy. Anytime you jam a joint, you feel it more. There's a different sensation you get from a muscle being stretched versus a muscle being fully shortened versus a muscle being like, you know, full of blood and, you know, metabolite or whatever, you know, from the pump or just the difference between, you know, what you get from a lot of motor units being recruited versus just like, you know, the metabolites. So from a, from a, from a trainee perspective, sensation is like a, it's a, it's a minefield to try and navigate. And so that's why I'm like, if, if the sensation comes along with good mechanics, awesome. But don't make the like the destination or the, you know, the thing that you're trying to use to validate the exercise exclusively like sensation, right? Because I like to look at mind muscle connection, not as feeling, but as control, right? I'm looking at this as like mind muscle connection means, do you know, am I able to contract this muscle? And am I able to continue to contract that muscle in the face of fatigue when my body wants me to do other things? Right. So that's what I think is the most valuable thing in terms of what you should be striving for in terms of improving mind muscle connections. It should not be how much sensation you feel, but it'd be like, how much control do you have over the tissue? Right. Cause that's, 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 that's a combination of what the nervous system is capable of, but also then your conscious discipline to continue asking that of the nervous system when you otherwise would want to compensate with body motion or other muscles, et cetera. Right. And so that, that carries over to better technique as well. I think that's, uh, as ever with your answers, very nuanced uh, answer in in that regard. And I think it's useful. It might, for some listeners, they might hear that and be a bit confused, but I would hedge a bet that's more the kind of more novice lifters and the more advanced that like for myself using that kind of like what you talked through there, I was like, yes, I know exactly what you mean with that kind of that variance. And with some of the exercises I've used uh, from yourself that I've seen like the uh, the iliac like pull down we might call it or like the press arounds and things it's taken a while for me to kind of get the sensation or the, the the right sensation and it not to feel a bit kind of um i don't know like you're just learning something new and it just doesn't quite feel right but once i got it there and now it's like yeah it's that control and you almost with the biomechanics background and through having kind of heard you talk things out about kind of the various movements, I'm almost thinking about what is the muscle trying to do here? And I'm almost feeling it go through that motion. And that's what's been helping me kind of connect with it better. And yeah, have that control. Like you said, the my muscle connection, I can see my muscle connection and control being quite, they align very nicely, actually, I think. That's why I think you have to learn this stuff visually because then it gives you that tool to visualize while you're training, you know, and it just like, 
we tend to be like, you know, when it comes to anything that's, you know, remotely like, well, well, this is basically like body engineering, if you will. Right. And it's like, man, being able to, being able to see that tissue, how that tissue moves in 3d on real people or whatnot, it, like people learn it exponentially faster. Right. And that was for me personally, in terms of getting better at this stuff, that was what really, you know, I would say improved my comprehension of this stuff. The best is when I got out of just the textbook and the research and I was like, okay, we're going to get 3d apps. We're going to get, you know, skeletons. We are going to start actually looking at all this stuff in 3d because I would see this stuff training clients, you know, and, and working with people and we did camp. So it's like, I would see, you know, I'd have a day where it's like, all right, I'm looking at 30 different individuals, like back to back to back to back, like not like hours, but like, you know, seconds and minutes apart and like going through the same thing. And it's like, okay, that is, that is educating me more on how to, you know, adjust this movement, how to coach this movement, you know, et cetera, versus, you know, I, I could be studying, I could, I could know all of the internal moment, like all of that stuff, but then get onto the gym floor and be like, okay, but like, how do I make that happen? Right. But you see a few real people do it. You, you get coached how to do it physically. You see it. And it's like, all of a sudden, then it's like, okay, the learning curve is so much shorter and it makes so much more sense. Hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. Yeah, I can definitely, I can definitely, definitely see that. I, I mean, I could think about anything, but like it's like a contest prep or something. You can read about how to go through a contest prep and diet down to stage level of leanness and how it's meant to feel. And it's not until you go through that <laughs> that you actually get to kind of get to grips with, oh, that's what that sort of level of fatigue feels like. That's what that food focus feels like. And I think what you mentioned in terms of kind of don't use those proxies of like the the sensation initially, um, but maybe it's a case of kind of get the textbook form almost down of what we're trying to achieve. And like I mentioned with my experiences, once you've had that for a while, then you start being able to really, really feel it a little bit better and um, hopefully once you're kind of a bodybuilder, you kind of know what sort of sensations you're looking for versus the ones you're not looking for as well. Um, yeah. With kind of introducing some of these exercises and things to people, have you ever found like you've had kickback from some of like, it's, it seems like a more new or, or novel and kind of um, versus the old school kind of bodybuilding uh, approach? Have you found you've got kickback? And to ask you a further question to that, like, do you have any ways of encouraging people to look past maybe some of their more closed-minded thinking potentially i mean anytime you're doing something new there's there's always kickback inevitably um and usually that kickback comes from we'll say you know uh from from people that aren't looking through through a large lens it's looking through a narrow lens like so for example you know one of the first things you know that we kind of pushed out was like simply using the heel wedge, right? Like, so a lot of people, you know, don't know. It's like the reason that like you can go on Amazon or whatever, and there's like 20 different companies now that make these small little individual heel wedges. Like, yeah, that was an innovation of ours. But when we started that, we got a bunch, we got a bunch of flack and a bunch of pushback on like, oh no, you know, that's, you know, doesn't matter. doesn't work, et cetera, whatever. And now you, you see them everywhere. Same thing with like, you know, like with the lat stuff or whatever, like, like when we first started that, you know, there was a lot of pushback on those things. And 
two things that come with that with is it's like you have one group that's like, hey, you know, you're overcomplicating it, you know, like, look at all these people that have gotten results like doing other things and whatever. And, you know, when we're looking at optimizing these movements and, you know, a lot of what we're doing is what we call biasing. And it's like, okay, but we're, we're not saying that like, you know, doing a regular lat pull down doesn't involve the lats. But what we are saying is, is like, if you wanted to make sure that you were targeting the lats more and that they were going to be the thing that was the limiter, right? Because like in a, in an integrated movement, if any one of those muscles fatigues a little bit faster or is a little bit weaker, et cetera, that can limit your performance. That can limit your technique, et cetera. So the more biased we make a movement, the more predictable the outcome of the stimulus that we're going to get. Right. So the whole idea is, is that if we know, if we know that target, like of how to bias every individual tissue, then even if we choose movements that aren't that we know how close they are to those things. So then that make, gives us a better predictor of what the outcome is for those, you know, and then, you know, when you take in individual structures, you know, we have all these variances, people like, you know, if you take a whole bunch of people and you just all have them do pull downs and you were to measure, you know, what their back would look like afterwards an exercise that incorporates a whole bunch of muscular at once you're going to have a variety of responses some people are going to grow more upper back some people are going to grow more lats some people are going to grow different divisions of their lats more you know some people are going to incorporate you know more of the erectors or elbow flexors etc whatever you know with those you know because there's so many variations that you can have in that technique and intent and stuff with those exercises as we get to more of these extreme biased exercises pretty much you know like if you do this nothing else is then going to be the limiter. I know where that stimulus is going, right? But it also comes with the consequences that that means that everything else is subsequently getting less stimulus because I'm intentionally making this the limiter of the exercise, right? So it's by far not the only way that you should train in the way that everybody should train because sometimes you may be like, hey, I need an exercise that's going to hit a bunch of tissue. And so because you have the history of, you know, well, you know, so, so-and-so bodybuilders, you know, have gotten results with this. So you got that argument, right? You got the like, well, okay, you know, if I do a, you know, if I do this movement, it hits all of these tissues instead of these, other. like, those are, those are all valid arguments, but what people often overlook is, is that anytime we introduce this information, it's not that, okay, everybody has to quit doing what they're doing and everybody now has to do it this way. It's more of like, hey, here's some information about the subject that you didn't previously have that now you can put into your program and apply it. So if you're a physique competitor and you've been doing all these exercises and you haven't been getting progress in those areas, the, this is now a way that now when you choose back exercises that you can make that target, you can predict that outcome, right? So the, basically everybody is, is now empowered to say, hey, it's not like, you know, that whole like, does this exercise work for me? Um, because there's a lot of reasons that a lot of will say, well, like, you know, integrated exercises like work for one person A and not for person B. But what we do know is, is like, if we take it to this level, then an iliac lat pulldown is going to be an iliac lat pulldown for everybody, right? There'll be, there'll be, there'll be individual variances in what that exercise looks like for different people, because they might have varying, you know, size rib cages and degrees of flexion or whatever. But, you know, if they set that up for their structure, everybody's going to be able to stimulate that tissue. Everybody's going to be able to bias that, right? And so really all we're doing is we're, we're adding precision, we're adding value, you know, in terms of being able to say, hey, I want to do this. Is there a way that I can make sure that I accomplish that in training? Then now we have that information. But a lot of people, 
don't don't like that either because it's it is complicated to get this nuanced about training um or they're just like oh you know i didn't have to do that or i don't want to do that and therefore i'm going to be anti that if that makes sense no absolutely i think the first thing that springs to mind is like i don't know as a a new lifter a deadlift off the floor can be a really great exercise hits a lot of musculature and you don't have to worry so much about fatigue and the cost there mm -hmm. and it's become i guess maybe kind of not common knowledge but more people have come to the opinion that deadlifts for hypertrophy once you're more advanced and very strong the kind of trade-off between the kind of growth stimulus you get across a bunch of muscle that it kind of just shotguns that and you also get like a shotgun back in your face because this is kind of the fatigue across the body is maybe not worth it so people then kind of isolate a little bit more they move to like a rdl or a straight leg deadlift where they're hitting a bit more hamstring glute and maybe kind of some of the posterior like the the erectors and things but they're not hitting so much of other stuff that they can target through other things and you're kind of taking it uh, uh, like oh and then they go to like a leg curl say so it's not really actually anything different to a lot of what people have been doing, but it's like, well, your back exercises, you haven't maybe taken it that far where you're thinking the back is a very complicated muscle group, but we haven't taken it as far as it yet, like as common knowledge. And now you're starting to, and uh, I guess, is that with some of the exercises that are becoming popular, do you find their common holes in people's physiques? And that's why they're becoming popular because people are kind of hopefully correctly incorporating them. I like to think I'm correctly incorporating my routine where it's like, well, I haven't really been hitting my iliac lap particularly well. I imagine a lot of people don't particularly through a lot of their exercises. And so it can kind of be synergistic rather than like, oh, I need every exercise to be this like specific isolated pattern. I wish I could say that the exercises that we've done that are the most popular are because they are the ones that work the best. <laughs> but I think I, I, I think, I think I would be, I, I, I would be calling absolute BS on that because it just, it seems to be that the exercises that are the most popular, unfortunately, are the ones that are most novel, um, you know, because like, let's take the, the iliac pull down, for example, the whole point of that exercise was to get the arm in front of the body, utilize the rib cage to provide a stretch on the lats. Right. And the number of people that basically they put a bench in front of them and then just did the exact same exercise that they were doing seated because they would just take their arms straight up over their head, right? So basically all they did was they just did the same exercise on a different bench, right? Um, and then they would tag and like, oh yeah, I'm doing the like protein. And like, I love these, these feel so much better. And I'm just like, that just goes to show how much of a psychological aspect there is in this. And that tends to make things more viral than, you know, the actual effectiveness. Cause I mean, it's, again, it's so hard. It's not like, you know, I mean, it's one thing for people to do an exercise, but like, Oh, I felt it. Right. Um, but there's also this huge bias of when anybody tries something new, especially if it's something new coming from somebody that, you know, they believe in, they trust or whatever, you know, and they're like, well, this person that I respect says this is good for this. So I'm going to try it. Right. So there's like a huge psychological bias of wanting to succeed at that and to like making it like, oh, making it feel or whatever. And then there's the also the implied thing. And this is something that we have to account for in the lab is, is that if I tell you this exercise does this and you are like, you're, you're a bodybuilder, you you've, you've posed, you have intricate control over your body. So if I tell you an exercise does this. There's a certain amount of that mind muscle control and keep mind, you know, the control portion of it is, is that you might just pose that muscle more in the exercise, knowing that that's what you're supposed to be training. And therefore you could get the sensation because you're just like, 
okay, so this is lower lats, and then you just squeeze your lower lats. But the exercise could be a terrible, you know, iliac lat exercise, but you have the ability to contract that with intent, even though the exercise might not be, you know, so good, right? And so that's always something that we have to account for. Like when we're doing this, this is like, you know, I try and be like, okay, so when we have people do these, all we do is set them up really well, but we don't tell them what it's for, what it's supposed to do, et cetera. Because then actually what we see is in, in the, in when we do lab work on people that are more trained, they bring in that skill, whether it be the habits that they have, right. Or the fact that like, they just have the ability to contract that tissue on demand. And then that kind of dirties up the data because I could just give them like, you know, a bunch of different exercises and they basically just pose the same muscle with a bunch of varying degrees of whatever. Now load does help with that. Right? You make it heavy enough and then you lose the ability to, you know, fake the exercise, so to speak. But back to the question, I would say, you know, it's a, it's a combination because I think the reason an exercise lasts in popularity is because it works, but the reason it gains popularity is because it's novel, right? Is people like, Oh, this looks cool. This, you know, this feels cool. This is, this is different than what, you know, the stuff that is out there. I think that's what gives it that big push that gets it out there. Right. But we, we, we see this all the time where, you know, somebody will do some, some influencer will be like, Oh, try this, whatever. And it goes, but then it just goes away. Right. Whereas what we've seen with the things that we're doing really well is, is that they gain some popularity, but then they stay popular and they continue to trend and grow. Not necessarily at the viral rate of when they first get released, you know, per se, it just kind of depends. It's weird. You know, all, all, like it's all it takes really is for the right person to like it, you know, with social media. It's like, you know, if I come out and say something's good, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a modest voice on social media, right. But I have, you know, people that follow me that have millions of followers. So all it takes is for one of them to then, if, if they repost that or whatever, all of a sudden, poof, I mean, that create, that creates a, a downstream effect that it would take me, you know, months or, or years to accomplish, you know, and they do it in a week. So there's so many confounding variables in that, but you know, novelty makes it go big. The actual benefit is what makes it stay a staple in people's programs. I would say. I really like that because that's, I don't know where I learned it. It may have been from Menno Henselman's. Maybe he said something along the lines of, I think it was supplements when a new supplement comes out. And there's not like maybe much research on it or whatever. Like he like waits out to see if something's going to stand the test of time, that sort of thing. And that's something I inherently do with various things. And that's definitely something I did with quite a lot of this, the, the biomechanics stuff where I saw it kind of coming out. I was like, hmm. like had that skeptical eye and I was like, man, this is, this is really sticking around a long time. And then obviously I've incorporated it and tried it out and it's, it's stuck in my, I mean, I've had those, some of those movements in my program throughout my contest prep and now they're continuing and maybe I've slightly varied them um, with some of like the, the pull around variances and things like this. And it, it's fun and exciting for one, like the novelty aspect for sure. Um, but yeah, I can definitely see that they've stuck around for good reason. And actually on the note of um, the, these exercises, do you have like a process that you think about when you're looking to like, build an exercise and kind of you're thinking one through do you have like a step-by-step -step like for i know the press around was maybe one of the, the newer ones you came up with was there something like i don't know in your head you go through like okay the origins here the insertions here the kind of the resistance profile uh, profile is this or like wh what have you um yeah i'd love to hear if you have like a process for kind of inventing exercises yeah. So the process is basically this, is that we start with mechanical modeling of trying to find out 
would be that muscle's shortest and longest position in the body, right? And then from there, we're trying to figure out then from, you know, that's where then all the force vectors come in to figure out, all right, then what would be the, the motion that would occur between, you know, the lengthened position and the shortened position. So, I mean, for the people that like to hate on the stuff that we do, and I'm like, literally, it's this simple as we're looking at a muscle and we're looking at taking it from its longest point to a shortened point. Like if that doesn't make sense as a valid training application, then I, you know, I, then I, then I don't know. I mean, that's pretty much the, po the point of every other, every exercise that we do. Right. Um, and we're just looking at that as, you know, being a little bit more exact with that. Okay. So once, once we do that, once we've gotten the mechanical modeling down and, and we get, have the motion down the motion sometimes, you know, and subtle differences that we could take, you know, cause like for a deltoid, I could have the, like, you know, I could have a path across the body and behind the body and it'd be like, well, I could do that in a more frontal plane set. Like the arm could be lower, higher, whatever. And I could still get to point A to point B. So we got to figure out like, is this an uppercut motion or a hook motion halfway in between like, you know, so the path of motion in between that's where then the, the tangible tools really come into play. Right. Is, is then they help us compare all of those different aspects of getting from point A to point B, right? Um, and so once we kind of figure that we can, we've got the good end positions, we have some path of motions, we test those, right, with whatever exercise that we can come up with. And it doesn't have to be a great exercise, it doesn't have to be super good at loading or whatever yet. We just want to know we're on the right path. Then we look at refining the exercise of like, okay, how could we improve like the bracing, the setup, you know, would this be better done, you know, in, in this machine versus this cable or like, and all the different ways that we could, you know, create that motion with good resistance, you know, for people, um, then that's, then that's where we're trying to take that stuff to the application. And so there's always a bit of, there's always a bit of lag in there. And, you know, we, we actually had a lot of this with like the press around and pull rounds, but like people are like, Hey, you know, you're doing the press around thing on, on Instagram, but it's not in the library yet. And I'm, and I would tell people like, yeah, that's, it's because I haven't like, I'm still playing around like, like with what is the absolute best way to do these in the arm pass or, or whatnot. Right. So there are times where I've let social media kind of in on the creative process. Right. But people get very impatient. They don't realize like, you know, the amount of work that goes into where we finally say, okay, now we're confident in putting, you know, I'm confident in putting the N1 brand on this and saying, Hey, this exercise does this. Here's the, best way that we've found to set it up. Here's good cues to help you, you know, with the technique, et cetera, rather than just saying, you know, like, well, here's something I tried and I liked it. This is how I did it. And then we just put that, you know, in our library, right? Cause it's not, it's, it's, you know, it's not the library of Kasim's preferences or things that he just decided to do in the gym that were weird. You know, it's, it's like, you know, it's like, Hey, once, once we're ready to formalize this stuff, it's like, cool. Um, if people want to, you know, be part of that experience of testing this stuff out by trial and error on their own, that's cool too. And I've really appreciated the amount of people that, you know, that do decide to do that. Right. Because, you know, sometimes I get feedback or by seeing other people like doing it, it helps, it helps me understand what I'm going to need to do from a coaching perspective. Right. That's why the practicals are so valuable for us as well. Cause we get all these people come in, we attempt to coach these exercises and granted, you know, they're going to make mistakes and we're going to have inefficiencies in the way that we're communicating that information, et cetera, whatever. And then we get better and better and better and better. Right. And so then we figure out better cues and small tips, you know, and things like that. Um, and we continue to evolve these things, you know, over time. So I would say that's the final stamp It's not after it's then 
after we've then applied that. Our coaches have applied it, you know, with their in-person and their online clients. We've applied it at practicals, you know, you know, and and of course, you know, most importantly, TikTok has approved it. You know, that's the, that's the important thing. How long have you now been on TikTok? You've been on there. Uh, it's like a few weeks now, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like th- like yeah, a little over two weeks, I think. I don't. I told. I committed to doing it for a month. I, I go back and forth on whether or not I am going to stay on that platform. Very interesting, very interesting interactions, but yeah, it's definitely, um, <laughs> definitely not my favorite uh, thing to do. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Yeah, I can appreciate that. Um, I, I recently, yeah, I won't go on to the whole TikTok thing. I wanted to actually, with the exercises, really, I mean, obviously it's, it's fairly basic, but there's lots of steps that come into it and you're trying to get it precisely. And actually something you mentioned there, because obviously people are going to see you, they're going to see all, potentially me and tagging you and it's reshared and other people reshare and do it. And I wanted, and obviously you discuss like some people are doing it completely wrong some people are doing it maybe spot on and other people are somewhere in between um but you if people want kind of i guess the casm way the the m1 kind of this is the final say this is how we really think it should be done you have an uh, a library that people can access yeah yeah so on our n1 training site we have an exercise library that you can search for by the muscle you can search for by what length you want to train that muscle what resistance profile you want to use what machine or whatever because essentially what we're trying to do with our libraries is to make it a combination of like you know if you if you look at an exercise you also get to see all this information about that exercise right so if you are not you know you didn't go to school formally for anatomy you can learn that like well this exercise works this muscle in its short position and this one works it you know and it's a it's lengthened position so our libraries is like it's like an extension of our of our education material right and that is the last place that this new stuff shows up so like first we'll put it in our courses you know teaching it to our most educated students right and then once we've gotten all that feedback and refined it then yeah then it goes into that library so if you want the the end, like this is, this is exactly how we recommend it. Yeah. That's where it is. Yeah. I'll make sure we have that link so people can check that out. Cause I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, yeah, it's all good and well kind of talking about it and seeing it, but I really want like the, the way to do it, uh, which is great that you have that resource there. And if people are, I know uh, you've had this before and, um, in terms of people using your exercises and then maybe not giving credit, what, what is your preferred, actually, even for me to know, uh, what's your preferred kind of approach if someone is using something they've seen that kind of stems from that your teachings, what's your preferred way of kind of um, someone giving credit or uh, approaching that? Do you have a particular feeling surrounding it? Um, you know, this is one of those areas where I don't ever think there's going to be, you know, a right answer. Um, and yeah. it really comes down to, you know, people just, you know, being, you know, being as ethical. And I think the more that we share and, you know, we support each other in this industry, the better it is. So, I mean, if you use something of ours that we've put on, you know, social media and you want to tag people and let you know that not only, I mean, that that's basically how we grow as a brand, right? So that's, that's extremely helpful, but also it does help people get back to the original content. So what it does is it helps with the quality control. Cause you know, when somebody, you know, does an exercise and they do it 90% well, right. 
but they don't tag us. And then somebody copies them and they do it 90% well. And then that happens over and over again. Then eventually you have the person that's doing it, you know, completely ass backwards and they have no idea why, you know, or what the even goal of the exercise was. It's just like, Hey, this person put a bench in front of a cable machine and now I'm just pulling on a, you know, a handle. And that's the extent of the nuance of it. And it's like, okay. So then, then essentially what really sucks about that is, is that people associate that with N1, right? So, so it's, it's not so much just about the credit, but it's also just about making sure that the quality of the community is actually, you know, is good and that everybody's benefiting from these exercises and that we aren't just seeing people just do overcomplicated, you know, setups to accomplish nothing different because, you know, they copied a copy of a copy of, of a copy, right? Um, but essentially our stance, you know, is anything that we put on social, you know, it's fair game for everybody to use and post about and, and whatever we appreciate tags or whatever. Uh, but we, the stuff that we teach in our course and even some things on the exercise library, because there's no way to deliver that much nuance on social media is which we basically ask people is like, Hey, you know, you don't need to share this on Instagram because there's no way that you can help people by trying to put something this complex in that platform. Like for instance, at our practicals, we have, you know, essentially the most educated trainers in the world they are coming. They're going to see this stuff on a 3D anatomy app. They're going to see it on a real skeleton, right? They're going to see it on live humans, right? They're going to see it in exercises on live humans, and then they're going to do it themselves, Right. And that's going to be like, they're going to do all of that. So for like, for, you know, this one body part or whatever, they're going to dedicate a whole day of going through that experience. And a large portion of them are still not going to have it perfected on that day. They're still going to need to practice and apply that, you know, to really nail that down. So to think that you can throw this on an Instagram post, you know, in a quick video, and then, then everybody's somehow going to do a better job than the top people like, you know, looking at that stuff, you know, and whatever. So it's like, Hey, some of this stuff that's like more complicated or whatever, you'll be doing people a disservice by putting it in a format where you like, you're, you're setting them up for failure, if you will, rather than setting them up for success. Right. It'd be the, I mean, it's the equivalent of telling people like, you know, they'd be like, Hey, everybody, you should, uh, you should load 600 pounds today without being specific to the exercise or who it was from. You just put out that blanket thing. That's like the equivalent of what it is when you throw out an exercise and it doesn't have the nuance of how to do it, what it's for, you know, who, who needs to do it and all, all of that other stuff. Then it's just like, is it cool or is it not cool? Right. And <laughs> you know, my right. Yeah. The, it kind of reminds me of when, cause uh, like the, volume landmarks mike israel kind of uh, made popular when they first came out there was kind of a lot of misconceptions about kind of what it meant and people were just like oh yeah i just add two sets to every muscle group per week and it kind of was like that's just how i'm going to do it it's like uh, they probably need to go listen to mike read his books like get a full understanding of it, it sounds very similar with like oh i don't know i'm just going to do this exercise and this is exactly it so uh, I think it's just, yeah, people being, making sure to take care of themselves and get proper educated on things. If they're thinking they, they want to get the most out of their training and their nutrition and everything, they should kind of come yeah. to the source and get a full understanding. Yeah. If you want to improve in this industry, you like, and, and you want to make the most out of your training and whatnot, you you definitely shouldn't be getting your all of your education from things on social media. You should probably, <laughs> yeah. social media should be like from, for anybody that like, you know, that follows you, they follow me, they follow my, like, like they follow all these people out that are, that are putting out information, right? 
understand that basically that's the equivalent of like, we're like putting something up in the window for you to see, right? But if you really want to benefit from this stuff, then you got to, you got to come inside and you really got to learn that stuff. And it's, it's a thousand percent worth it, right? If the amount of time that you will invest scrolling and, you know, trying things that, you know, aren't so good or whatever, like versus like saying, Hey, this, this stuff looks kind of cool. I like the way this person's explaining this, et cetera, whatever. Let me actually give them the benefit of the doubt and actually go in and hear their, you know, their full explanation, see their full content, read their full book, et cetera. Right. And actually really get the value out of that, you know, rather than just like licking the glass of the window on the outside. Right. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another. A really cool community for people within our little niche is going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics. Discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.